Bandwidth for ChangeLog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Error monitoring is provided by Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash ChangeLog. I'm Damien Grisky, and it is go time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Go Time. Today's episode is number 66. Uh, on the show today, we have myself, Eric St. Martin. Uh, we have Carlicia Pinto here. Hi, everybody. And Brian Kettleson. Hello. And our special guest today, who I'm really excited about, is Damien Grisky. And uh, most of you may know him because he's always talking about white papers that I know personally I wish I understood enough to read. <laughs> but... um. You wanted to, I guess, before we jump into kind of like performance and fuzzing and stuff, do you want to give people a little background on who you are for anybody who may not be familiar with you already? Uh, okay. Well, so my name is Damien. Um, I, I've been using Go since before 1.0. Uh, I remember things like OS.error. Um, <laughs> I, I tweet a lot about Go. Uh, I'm the moderator of the Go subreddit. Uh, I post a lot of stuff there, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I like, you know, sort of computer science researchy things. So I have a lot of repositories of papers and stuff that I've implemented. Um, I used to live in Amsterdam working for booking.com, but now I am, uh, in Vancouver working for, uh, Fastly. So that's I go, me in 30 seconds. Do we know anybody else that works at Fastly? I think so. No. I can't, I can't, I'm trying to think of somebody, but I can't think of anybody. It feels like I should know somebody that works at Fastly. So before we kicked off the show, we were kind of uh, having our little pre-chat there. And you talked about how you kind of did like busking and magic and stuff beforehand. So I actually find it really interesting because you decided later to learn computer science. And then you went like all the way over. You're like, I'm going to deep dive and, and read papers and, and implement them and, and write papers. Like that's, that's awesome. Uh, well, so, you know, I, you know, uh, growing up, uh, I actually just had this uh, dis discussion with, uh, you know, my, 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 my daughter and my wife's parents. We were all talking about, you know, what did you want to be when you grow up? And, uh, you know, I realized that even though, you know, there was a brief period where, you know, I was hanging out with jugglers and magicians and thinking, you know, maybe this is a cool thing that I could do because I was, you know, 12. Um, you know, I, you know, I started programming very early and I, you know, I have a, book and like, you know, math stuff from when I was in, you know, like grade five, six, you know, like really being into, you know, math and computers and programming and doing all that. So it's not that I totally switched. It was just like, oh, wait a minute, actually, this is just a better career path for me. <laughs> so both hobbies, you just kind of switched which one should be your career. Yeah. That's awesome. So one of the things that you talk about a lot um, recently is performance. So. Mm -hmm. Um, let's, let's chat a little bit about, um, performance and, uh, when's a good time for, uh, focusing on performance. Um, 
you know, with something that's already so fast as Go, you know, what, when and why does it matter to start looking at performance, all that good stuff? Uh, yeah, so I guess, so I guess I'll quickly talk about, um, this, this perf book that I'm writing. Um, so I, I tend to mostly hang out in the performance, uh, channel on the Gophers Slack and, you know, one of the things I was like, you know, we have sort of, you know, so much, you know, knowledge about, you know, how to optimize go and, uh, you know, ways to build things and ways to work around issues in the, you know, runtime and, uh, you know, getting better performance out of the compiler and. And all that I said, you, we should we should really gather all these blog posts and actually turn this into a resource um, to take it sort of out of, you know, 20 people's heads and onto something that would be easier to share. And so I sort of, you know, you know, got, uh, you know, a bunch of resources and, you know, started writing up a little bit of, you know, things that I, you know, my my personal thoughts about optimization and performance work. And, you know, every now and then I would sort of add a little bit to it and then. I think, you know, around the beginning of the year, um, I was going through my repositories and I noticed, oh, yeah, there's this perf book here. It's like, oh, but, you know, I'm, it's, it's, it's kind of stalled a little bit. Um, and so I made some dumb tweet. It's like, you know, the, clearly the reason that, you know, this hasn't taken off is because, uh, you know, it's not called, you know, like awesome Golang performance and, you know, is now on the front page of Hacker News. Uh, and, and that tweet actually got a whole bunch of retweets. Um, and, you know, I got you know, like 200 stars in, uh, you know, in like 24 hours and like, wow, okay. So clearly this project that I had that was kind of sitting around, uh, you know, people do actually care about. So, uh, you know, my, I, I ended my GitHub streak, um, you know, before I moved from Amsterdam to Vancouver, just to give myself a little bit more time. And now I'm thinking, well, maybe I will, you know, just sort of spend 2018, you know, working on this performance book. So that's kind of where a lot of my free time has been going. Um, and I'm up to, you know, like, you know, 5,000 words or something. And I haven't actually even gotten to any of the like go specific optimization stuff. I'm just, you know, just all my, you know, other thoughts about, you know, sort of performance and, and optimization and all of uh, all that stuff that is really applicable to anything that you're uh, building and want to make fast. So that's, uh, that's sort of the history of this perf book thing. Um, so your thoughts on performance. Do they come from you exploring and experimenting or they come from experience with um, previous production level application or a combination? Um, and I'm just, I just wanted to, to talk about this because I'm thinking, why would people be motivated to explore different ways of measuring performance? And, or, or is it not even a worthwhile endeavor and they should maybe, for example, just read a book or look for what's out there? How, how should people approach that? And to get to answer that question, I guess I'm, I'm trying to assess how you approach going into this. Well, so I, you know, one of the things that I enjoy doing is obviously reading computer science research. And, you know, most of that is, you know, here's a better algorithm for doing, you know, this thing. And, you know, exactly how you measure better, you know, varies. Sometimes they are faster, sometimes they are more accurate, sometimes they use less memory. But, you know, a lot of, and, and the question is, how do you apply that? And how do you actually determine if this is a worthwhile paper, not just from a theoretical standpoint, but actually from, uh, you know, like sort of practitioner standpoint? Do I actually want to implement this and, and put this into production? And so I think my interest in performance really comes from wanting to apply uh, you know, computer science research in a way that makes sense. Um, 
you know, as to who should be, you know, interested in performance, uh, you know, it really varies. Uh, it depends on, you know, I'm going to say, you know, sort of where you, where you are in the stack. Um, you know, I think if you're building, uh, you know, infrastructure, then, you know, necessarily performance, I think is a little bit more, uh, important for what you're doing. Um, you know, because there are more things that are sort of building on top of you and, you know, you kind of want to be as fast as possible because at the upper layers, sort of their speed will be, you know, they cannot be faster than you are. And if you are very slow, then that kind of limits how fast they themselves can go. Uh, if on the other hand, you are doing, you know, something that is, you know, purely, you know, customer facing or, you know, maybe a different kind of infrastructure, you know, maybe you don't actually care about performance because your goal actually is shipping, right? Your goal is, uh, I just need to get this out and I'm going to be customer focused. And, you know, they're not going to notice if it takes 500 milliseconds or if it takes two seconds, you know, and my goal is to improve on, uh, you know, usability or my goal is to improve on, uh, you know, like adding new features or making, making things better in that way. And then so performance really shouldn't be uh, your, your primary thought. So what percentage of um, Go developers do you think need to care about performance? I, I mean, that's, that's going to that's gonna depend. I mean, you know, I see a lot of people. So for many people, the, the move to Go and sort of, you know, the move away from an interpreted language like, you know, Perl or Python or, or even a very fast language like Node.js, you know, the switch to Go is enough. Uh, you know, you say, yeah, you know, Go is, you know, twice as slow as C, but on the other hand, uh, you know, Perl and Python, which are like, you know, 30 times slower than C, all of a sudden by going to Go, you are now, you know, like, you know, 10 or 15 times faster, you know, and that's, that's simply by switching technologies. Uh, and so, you know, for, for most things that people are doing, you know, if you're in sort of what we would call a traditionally slow language, uh, you know, then then moving to something like Go, like, you know, probably is enough. Uh, and, you know, it's really the places where you're doing things where you need to be smarter about what you're doing, uh, where you need to start thinking about performance. And and I would say, you know, again, you know, at least, you know, with with my experience uh, you know, at booking.com, which is, you know, like a huge company, um, you know, lots of developers, you know, massive code base, you know, how, how many of them were focusing on performance, how many of them needed to be focusing on performance, you know what, it, it really kind of, you know, varies, but I think that, you know, the most important thing is what, you know, what is the software that you're doing, doing, and is it doing it, you know, well enough? Is it doing it fast enough? Is it, you know, using a reasonable amount of memory? Uh, and I think for most people, the answer is, yeah, it's doing fine. Um, so it's really, you know, a very small amount uh, of people that actually need to, you know, focus 100% um, on performance and really get those last, uh, you know, you know, say like 10 or 20% or, you know, one or 2% uh, to, to sort of, you know, like, you know, grind the cycles and really do the hardcore optimization. Everything else is, I, I mentioned this in the perf book, I say, um, you know, you can, you know, basic tips for writing not so not slow software. Uh, you know, you know, choose a reasonable data structure, and that's basically like don't be dumb. Uh, <laughs> and then tips for writing fast software is okay. Here is actually what we're going to do, and uh, you know, this is how to you know minimize GC allocations. This is how to 
you know, here's how to optimize GC performance. Uh, here's how to, you know, like really, you know, work around some of the issues with the runtime. But, you know, the first thing to write not slow software, just don't be dumb. Uh, you know, if you're doing, you know, mostly, you know, sort of key-based lookups, use a map. Ta-da! Right? Um, if, you're, if you need stuff in order, use a slice. Ta-da! You know, just like choose the reasonable data structure for, uh, for your data access patterns. And then that's, that's kind of it. Um, and then it's really after the program that you're trying to write, you know, you determine that, that it isn't fast enough. Um, you know, I have an hourly report that takes an hour and a half to run. Okay, well, that's cl clearly not fast enough. Um, you know, I have, you know, this box and I have to solve this problem, but uh, all of a sudden I don't have enough RAM. If I do, the, if I do the, the, the obvious thing, then I don't have enough RAM to solve it. Okay, now we need to, you know, you know go in and, you know, shrink data sizes, you know, compress data structures in memory, kind of do the extra that is required. But, um, you know, I think, in, in almost all cases, don't optimize. Um, but on the other hand, also don't be dumb. So <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for that on Twitter. Don't be dumb. Quote. <laughs> don't be dumb. Don't optimize, but also don't be dumb. <laughs> it's it's going to be a, a meme. I see it already. Don't be I, dumb. I, I, I can see you, but also don't be dumb a lot in so many different scenarios. So once you've kind of decided that you need to optimize something, kind of what's your what's your approach there to make sure that you're optimizing the right thing? Do you always profile first, or do you just kind of get like a gut instinct about where where the problem lies? Yeah, where do you uh, even start? Uh, so your your gut instinct is always wrong. Uh, yeah, that's the truth. That that Sorry, is the truth. Not mine. <laughs> and <laughs> and and the really good thing about. Uh, you know, sort of like profiling first is that you don't have to worry about other people who are like, oh, this is where your bottleneck is. You say, well, you know what? I'm dumb. I don't know where it is. I'm going to profile first. Um, and so that the people who are too smart to profile, you can just ignore them. Uh, but you know, so, so the whole point is uh, you have to profile because your guesses are always wrong. Um, you know, sort of, you know, modern systems have you know, in general, so many interconnected pieces that if you say, well, you know, I think this is the thing that's slow, maybe you're right. And that's great. Your profile will confirm your guess, or maybe you're wrong. And then your profile will tell you where you actually need to speed things up. Uh, and then you won't have wasted time on optimizing something that isn't going to make a difference uh, to the runtime. I think sometimes your guess might be right as to where, but why might be wrong, right? Like, oh, well, this particular function or section of code is slow, but you think it's actually the instructions when really it's the GC that it's causing or things like that. But the point is that the that a profile will tell you sort of where your bottlenecks are. And, uh, you know, Amdahl's law tells you to focus on the bottlenecks because um, that really limits uh, how fast your program can go. Uh, if I have a, if my, if my program is slow to start up, um, but that's only, you know, let's say, 2% of my application, you know, if I make that twice as fast, great. Well, now that's 1% of my application. Uh, so that's 1% of my total runtime, which, you know, maybe isn't, you know, that, that big a thing. If I have a hot loop, uh, that profiling tells me, you know, here's this, you know, hot inner loop, and this is taking 80% of your runtime. And if you can make that only, you know, 10% faster, it, like that's, that will end up being a much more significant chunk of the total runtime of your program. And so that's where you should focus 
uh, your efforts on. And I think that's the other advantage of profiling is it says, you know, this, if you speed up this thing here, this will make sort of the, 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 the biggest bang for the buck. That's a very good point. I forget who, where I heard it from, but somebody said something, you know, like when you, when you profile something like focus on the biggest box first, you know, and then just keep focusing every time you make a box smaller, focus on the, the next biggest one. Yeah, because those are, those are basically the bottlenecks, right? I mean, that's saying this is where your program is spending time. Um, and so, you know, either you want to take that thing that is slow and either make it faster by doing, you know, like choosing a different algorithm or, uh, you know, doing sort of, uh, you know, like, like program tuning or, you know, sort of, you know, switching things around or, uh, at a larger level, you say, well, why, why is that box there at all? Maybe I can just, you know, do something to not have this thing called as many times. All right. So if you have, if you, if, if you're doing, so your program is doing either something that is not that slow a lot of times, or it's doing something that is slow. Uh, and so you either want to make some, make that thing that is slow faster or not do that thing that is slow as frequently. Um, and those are kind of the, the those are really the only two approaches that you can take <laughs> to speeding something up. Yeah. And um, Seago is a prime example of kind of like that expensive call thing, right? So if you can call in to see last times, you can make Seago calls a lot more efficient. And this is where you get into things like batching. So, um, you know, I don't want to have to call into Seago every single time to do this. So I'm going to create an array of hundreds of, of you know, a hundred of these things and then pass them all into Seago. So I only sort of cross that border once. So in your book, are you going to list strategies like that too? Um, uh, so how to handle, like how to fix performance, like which strategies to handle to, or, or even avoid performance issues? Uh, we, we, yes. I mean, so the goal, like I said, the goal at the moment is to, uh, sort of take everything that I know about, you know, sort of performance optimization, uh, and sort of, you know, like strategies sort of in general strategies. And then I was going to go into, uh, sort of like go specific things. So, uh, you know, like, you know, how to use, you know, PProf and the different profiles and how to write, how to write benchmarks and how to, you know, like read PProf output to sort of know where it is. Uh, you need to optimize, uh, you know, stuff around uh, like like processor level fixes. So things around you know cache lines and padding and uh, you know like concurrent access to uh, like if you have a lot of Go routines and sort of you know how to speed up you know accessing you know sort of the same data structures. Uh, you know maybe you know, like like branch prediction. So really kind of like low level uh, stuff that comes in. We're um, going to go into garbage collection. So, you know, minimizing allocations, uh, you know, it, you know, escape analysis and, you know, and those kinds of things, um, other things that show up when you're, uh, when, when you profile, so sort of runtime calls, all the, you know, the interface, uh, conversions back and forth, uh, you know, type assertions, you know, defer, um, you know, the, you know, bounce check elimination. Uh, so those kinds of things, uh, I have stuff with unsafe. Uh, so, you know, like unsafe is unsafe, but it can also be fast. Um, so stuff with Seago, um, some stuff with assembly, uh, because obviously sometimes that is, uh, you know, the way to speed things up. Um, but not always. Um, so I have cases where, you know, writing, you know, writing something in assembly has made, 
like a 10x performance improvement. Um, I've had a case where it made zero performance improvement. The code that I wrote was essentially equivalent to what the Go compiler uh, was generating. And I've had cases where my assembly implementation was slower uh, because assembly routines aren't inlined. So, you know, just sort of talking about all those things. Um, so at, at the moment, I, I have sort of very, I have the, the, the larger sort of performance stuff uh, and outlines for uh, the, the sort of Go specific sections. Um, but hey, it's only, it's only January, so I have, I have lots of time. <laughs> the year is young. Are you looking to complete it by the end of the year? I have no idea. This is, this is my hobby. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping you'll complete it before I have to teach my next Go performance class. <laughs> just, just FYI. Which is what, next month? Yeah, I don't know. Soon, probably. <laughs> Well, the the first section is almost done. My 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 sort of you know general performance thoughts. Those are mostly done. It should it could use an editing pass, um, but it's the the sort of go specific things uh, that sort of need more, I guess you know writing about. Uh, and I suppose those those to some extent are a little bit easier to I guess almost crowdsource um, because. Good. because it's not my personal opinion. <laughs> All right. I mean, these, these things are sort of, you know, it's like, well, how do you use unsafe? Well, I mean, there's kind of, you know, one obvious way to use unsafe to, you know, do these things. And so there's just kind of almost a tutorial section. Uh, so I think the, I think some of those, the, I think the later chapters are more tutorial sections and those I think will be easier to write in a sense because you just have the things you want to write about and then you write about them. Um, you know, the, the, the first section about, you know, when to optimize and basic strategies for optimization that are at the, you know, sort of like bigger conceptual, uh, level, those, I think that's taken me a little bit more time because it, it turns out I've been doing programming a long time, uh, and I've read a lot on software engineering and performance optimization, and I've done a lot of software engineering, a lot of performance optimization. So it turns out, apparently I have a lot to say. I had no idea until I started writing it all down. <laughs> are you enjoying it a lot uh i am uh actually it's uh kind of good to you know get it all out of my brain and say oh yeah here's another interesting thing um and i think also you know because i've had a lot of these discussions you know again you know over time with people in the performance channel uh so it's nice to be able to say like like look over here for my opinion on this <laughs> Yeah, and we should mention that too, that on the Gopher Slack, there is a performance channel. And that's mostly where you'll find me. Here's the question too. So one of the things you talked about um, in the beginning too, like is using um, data structures and algorithms that are, you know, best served for your access patterns and stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's awesome if you have like a huge vocabulary of them, right? So how would you recommend people get more familiar with more um, data structures and algorithms so that they can kind of have more to choose from? Or do you recommend with just kind of going with, um, you know, your first pass being kind of how you imagine it using just kind of standard things that are offered to you by the language and then finding more efficient data structures later? I think, uh, that really there are only a small handful of data structures that most people need to use uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And luckily for the most part, they're built into Go already. Um, so, you know, I have a slice um, because 
I want sort of, you know, order one append and I need random access uh, or I want need to be able to, you know, iterate things in order or whatever. Uh, or I have a map because I have some sort of you know, key value lookup. Um, and that really should cover almost everything that most devs want to do. And conveniently, that's why they're in the line. That's why they're in the language. A lot of the more esoteric uh, data structures have very specific use cases. Um, and so you actually don't need to actually know how to write them, um, but it's helpful if you know that they exist. Uh, so I think that's, you know, it, you know, how did I, how did I learn them? Well, you know, I mean, my, my background is like, I have a computer science degree and, you know, it was a very, from a very, uh, basically, you know, theory heavy university. Uh, so I, you know, cracked open the books and I, and I did all that work. Um, does everybody need to do that? No, probably not. Um, and so I think, you know, how do you, how do you learn more about data structures? You know, pick one that you're interested in. Uh, but really the, the, the number that most devs need to know, I think is very small. You know, it's nice to know, you know, how, you know, how a binary search tree works. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice to understand the guarantees that an AVL tree or a red black tree give you uh, versus, you know, a regular binary search tree. Um, but if I was actually implementing those, I wouldn't use either an AVL tree or a red black tree because they're both a huge pain to implement because they're really kind of annoying. And a treep is, you know, gives you the basically the same performance and is way easier to implement. Um, so if I needed something that couldn't be solved by a slice or a map and I needed the sort of, you know, like log in, uh, you know, in order guarantees that a treep would give me, or sorry, that a, that a, that a tree structure would give me, then I would personally go with a treep because, because, because they're just simpler. Um, but you kind of need to know, uh, the holes that the data structures that you have don't fill. Um, and there's, there's, there's so many data structures out there. So, you know, pick some of the main ones, uh, I'll learn those. So what are some that like, maybe pick like two or three that you think if anybody had to wander off the beaten path might be interesting ones to know, or your favorites, just to kind of, for people who don't have a list of data structures, like what are some favorites or top ones you think people might go to? Uh, well, okay. So, uh, I think heaps are very useful because that kind of thing shows up, uh, frequently, uh, bloom filters, I think are super cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially when you're doing performance work, they, you know, just that, that ability to quickly say like, no, do I have this thing or not? Do I need to do this extra amount of work or not? You know, bloom filters are, are, are really cool and, you know, show up as a component, uh, of a lot of systems. Uh, for example, there's a, a cache eviction algorithm that I've implemented called tiny LFU. And, you know, as part of this cache, you know, it has a teeny bloom filter that basically, that basically says, have I seen this before? And if I have seen it before, then I might see it again. So add it to my cache. Uh, but if I haven't seen it before, then don't put it into my cache yet because it might be a one-off. And so, you know, bloom filters, you know, by themselves are cool, but they're, they're really cool as a component of something else. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I want to talk about data structures, you know, my, because I've been doing this for so long, my, my views are heavily skewed toward the things that I find uh, interesting. Um, you know, like, you know, count min sketches, you know, there's a lot of, you know, like probabilistic things 
that are that are cool that end up being simple but effective um, because they integrate randomness uh, into them. Uh, again, going back to Treeps, uh, you know they're very they're very cool, really easy to implement. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, look at look look at my GitHub. You know, I have. <laughs> I, was, I was just gonna say, if you want to see some interesting stuff, just go to Damien's GitHub page because. It's full of amazing implementations of technical papers. Every two minutes, he's announcing on Twitter that he found a new paper and then implemented it in Go. Here you go. <laughs> that's that's your uh, your slogan, like implementing white papers so you don't have to. <laughs> it should be. I, I love some of the stuff like when they come around, like, um, you know, when Raft came out, like I love when people take these complex things and you know, distill it down into a much simpler thing. Um, like the fact that, uh, what was the raft paper, like 11, 11 pages, like so much easier than some of the other distributed consensus algorithms that were around. Paxos. I tried to read the Paxos paper. I tried oh, to read the, yeah. the Paxos paper. Up. It's entertaining, but it's dense. Uh, and I think the fact that it's presented as this sort of basically the whole the whole setup for the part-time parliament is you know we've discovered you know these historical things about this uh you know island in the Aegean Sea about you know how this parliamentary system worked uh and here it is and then the last section is like by the way this also applies to computers but the the whole thing i think is is really re really dense um you know you can try reading it you know i did uh, I'm glad that Raft came out because I thought I could understand. I mean, I understand how Paxos works, but not because I read it in the Paxos paper. Yeah, and I think there's a bunch of Paxos implementations, and they're all implemented differently. It's everybody's interpretation of it was different. But. I thought I read somewhere that, um, and somebody who was very smart on Paxos said that he hadn't yet seen a Paxos implementation outside of Google that was correct, and that wouldn't surprise me. I, I can believe that. Yeah. Another thing that's another thing that's interesting, uh, especially with talking about Paxos, is the I think the 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 paper that Google released talking about Chubby, which is basically their implementation of Paxos. And I guess it's their implementation of Zookeeper, but whatever, you know, Zookeeper was based off Chubby and the Chubby implements Paxos, blah, blah, blah. Talking about how the algorithm that is in the Paxos paper is only one teeny component of what you actually need to build something that you can then, you know, call a service. Uh, and there are so many weird other edge cases that were not, you know, covered, you know, in Paxos. And there are sort of, you know, bits and pieces that you gather from these, uh, you know, like other papers to try to fill in the holes. But, you know, like, is that, is that sufficient? I don't know. Um, I think it, the Chubby paper is really interesting paper to read from a you know software engineering point of view of really trying to put this theory into practice and how you know even though these things like have proofs associated with them how the you know the researchers and how the the work that has gone into these papers you know is really this you know minuscule part of it and trying to get everything together to build something that you can actually deploy there's so much more extra work uh, required. Yeah. And I mean, um, even if you look at raft, right, like raft itself kind of explains how the consensus works, 
but you take like an implementation of that, like etcd or console or something like that, and there's so much more that goes into it, especially when you talk about having a, a service that can stand the test of time, that you need to be able to back up the data and compact logs and all these things, you know. Um, there's so much more work than just that. That's kind of the root of it. But like you said, there's so much more engineering and problems to solve around it. So moving on kind of from performance, um, another topic you are very into is fuzzing. So for anybody who may not be familiar with what fuzzing is, do you want to kind of give a rundown on what fuzzing is? And then we'll, we can get into why you, you think everybody should be doing it. Uh, so fuzzing is essentially randomized testing. Uh, so if you are, you know, if you have some program that accepts input, you know, you know, from the user, maybe it's across the network, maybe it's a file. Fuzzing is basically what are all the edge cases you forgot about? So, so there's there's fuzzing in general, and there's also the GoFuzz uh, package that makes fuzzing easy for for Go. But fuzzing in general is I'm going to generate random inputs and throw them at your program and then see what happens. And the assumption is that your program should never crash. Um, and if your program crashes, then I found a bug. GoFuzz is a tool for Go. It makes this very easy. Uh, you write a simple function called fuzz, and it will generate data and call this fuzz function. And GoFuzz works with uh, what's called coverage-guided fuzzing. So it looks at the coverage that a particular input uh, managed to get over your code base. And if that explored uh, more cases, basically got good coverage and got into paths that a previous input hadn't, then it said, ah, this is a more interesting input. So I'm going to keep this one and try and now sort of, you know, change around the bits of this input to see if I can get even more coverage. Uh, so coverage guided fuzzing makes it, you know, very easy to sort of, you know, narrow in on, uh, you know, basically edge cases, things you hadn't thought about. So I love randomized testing. Um, you know, testing is very good. Randomized testing is even better. Uh, and GoFuzz, I think has essentially found, you know, crashers on almost everything I've thrown at it. Um, so, you know, you find a repository and you say, well, hey, I'm going to, you know, like, did, did you manage to like check, you know, you know, all your edge cases? And the answer is almost always no. And GoFuzz will find them for you generally very, very quickly. Now, it would be even better if it could generate the fixes, too. <laughs> so you should read up on uh, the DARPA Grand Cyber Challenge. Oh, yeah. Uh, that stuff was amazing. Um, so these are fully... Uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but basically, you know, fully automated systems that had to both, I think, detect uh, attacks against their code and patch them and basically generate, like automatically generate patches, uh, you know, for these programs. And I think also there may have also been an attack component. I'm not sure. But uh, seriously, Google the uh, the DARPA Grand Cyber Challenge, I think it was called. And, and watch, I know there's a YouTube video that I saw. There's just like a summary about this whole thing. And some of the work that was being done there uh, was, was amazing. That sounds like a good way to kill a day. There, there was also a talk at Velocity New York City this year um, where there's uh, some colleges and things that have come together 
and they use like an AI ML component to kind of guess what the most um, normal or reasonable change would be to make to a, a piece of code to make it accurate. Um, I have to remember the name of that talk. And if I do, I'll make sure it goes in the show notes. But along the same lines, you know, where we can actually, you know, feed these things in and there's only a couple of, you know, uh, changes that a normal programmer might make to something and it can kind of take a good guess at it. But yeah, it's, eventually we won't need jobs anymore. <laughs> Somebody's going to write, write the uh, AI system that writes code for us. And they're going to be very rich. So yeah, fuzzing is actually good from not just a um, stability standpoint, but also from a security standpoint. Because generally, if you can make a program crash, you can, can you can take control of it. I mean, even at the least, you can cause a denial of service on on it. That's less of an issue with Go, obviously, because of the memory safety. Uh, right. But definitely, if you're writing servers in uh, in like C or C plus plus, then uh, yeah, a crash generally means also exploitable. Uh, one of the other things you can do with GoFuzz is turn it not into uh, so much, again, looking for crashes, but to compare two implementations. So I have a slow implementation and a fast implementation, and I will use you know coverage-guided fuzzing to make sure that I explore all the corners of the slow implementation and the fast implementation, and then I will compare the output, and if if the output isn't the same, then I will crash. And so then GoFuzz finds crashes, which means I have found a case where the fast implementation, the slow implementation, like generate different outputs. Oh, that's cool. Lots of lots of use for fuzzing outside of just pure, you know, sort of like I guess what you know, tr traditional vulnerabilities. Hmm. Here we go. I found it. It was called FTFY Research Advances in Automatic Bug Repair, and uh, some people out of Carnegie Mellon. And I will link to that. All right. So how are we doing on time? Oh, it might be time to move into news. I think it is. So uh, first off, um, 1.9.3 was released a couple days ago. So uh, update now. Submit bug reports because we know none of you tested it while it was in beta. <laughs> There isn't really much in this one. I saw the, I looked at the GitHub issues and they were pretty light. I mean, there's nothing huge. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was some, some minor bug fixes and stuff. There was no major security stuff that I recall. Now, the biggest one I remember seeing was a, a database connection leak, I think. And it had something to do with transactions. But this, yeah, overall, one of the more minor of the point releases which is good. We like tiny little bug fixes. 1.10 will be out soon. I think, soon. I think so. I, I, well, I think uh, RC1 is out or will, will be out probably by the time you hear this, not live. Um, and I think they were targeting like mid-February for, for 1.10. So again, that's not very far away. Oh, yeah. yeah, they they just keep coming. It's amazing how fast these uh, six month release cycles go. I love it. it takes it takes them about six months. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of performance, that's one of the things that I've always loved about Go, especially like coming from pre one. Like the amount of performance change is crazy, 
and you didn't have to do anything. <laughs> you just <laughs> just download a new compiler and smile and recompile, and you're like, "Woo, it's faster!" Yeah. Yeehaw! That is awesome, and that's that kind of underscores what Damien was talking about earlier. You know, when you, if if you came from a language that was already not so awesomely fast, you know, Go was huge when I moved from Ruby. It was a big speed difference. And then I moved to go one one and then one four and then one six and one and it just keeps getting faster. It's the gift that keeps on giving. All right. I found a project for news called Skydive. It's at github.com slash skydive dash project slash skydive. And it bills itself as a open source real-time network topology and protocol analyzer. And you know, I gotta be honest, I really don't care about that. But the graph, the uh, the interactive little thing on their their GitHub page looks really cool, and you can just dive in and look at all the different nodes on your network and the protocols that are traveling between them. So makes you feel kind of CSI-ish, and you should probably download that just to impress your friends. Oh, that's awesome! I really want to use this from a security standpoint, like because <laughs> sometimes trying to map out what machines are talking to what other machines to try to find new attack surfaces. Like, that's wicked cool. I'm surprised you hadn't seen this one yet. This is right up your alley. Yeah, I have not seen this. This is really cool. So I've got one too. Um, I, I think we mentioned it on the show before, but uh, there's a project called MetaParticle, which is kind of this exploration of building an abstraction over Kubernetes and, and Docker and all these things and um, exposing them to your programming language and framework of choice where they're kind of embedded in the language. They now have Go support. So you can now write a Go program that compiles itself or compiles. Then when you run it, it containerizes itself and deploys it. And it can do crazy stuff like sharding for you automatically. You say, I want I want to be spread out across two shards. Here's my shard key. And it kind of does the right thing. And creates all the the Kubernetes components to do that. Um, just super cool. Yeah, MetaParticle as a whole is just an amazing idea. And then adding to that the idea that you're going to, when you go run this application, it's going to deploy itself to a cluster in a way that you've programmatically declared. That is just really cool. Then, uh, as always, the Just for Funk stuff. Um, there was a recent one um, where uh, Francesca a awesome job talking through uh, channels and nil channels and, and you know, why, why they even exist. All of Francesca's videos are just so amazing. I know. I feel like I've missed a few of them. I need to, to binge watch them. That might have something to do with him being so amazing, but I, I'm not sure. It, possibly. I, I think that's a really good point. There's, there's a slight chance, but no, Francesca's awesome. <laughs> Anything else? Move on to uh, Free Software Friday. Yes. And uh, Damien, you've listened to the show, so you kind of know what the Free Software Friday thing is, right? Um, sh- sure. Um, I, <laughs> sure, yes, of course, of course I do. Of course I do. Um, I, uh, I want to give a shout out to, uh, I guess, Andy Bonds on Twitter, GitHub, uh, Andrew from the uh, Go team, who is slowly working through uh, all the GoFuzz bugs to get GoFuzz integrated into the main Go tooling. Uh, I think that will be amazing. So even though it's kind of his job, um, I think still a, a, a cool shout out for that. Cause I think that'll make a, a really big difference, 
just to, to getting sort of, you know, better, like re- really good testing, like just in with a go tool and you don't have to do anything else. Yeah, that, that would be amazing. Do you know roughly what milestone they're targeting for that? I have no idea. How about you, Carlicia? I don't have anything today. Does that mean I can do two? Yeah. Y- you can do That's exactly three what it means. Because yes. I've spent this whole week working on slides, so I, I haven't used a tool for one to kind of pop in my head right now. Awesome. So I have to go with with a fun one that I, I constantly use and never remember that I use, which is uh, the pretty package from Keith Rarick. Every time I want to debug, you know, we don't debug in my house. We just format print line. But uh, KR Pretty is a package that dumps pretty much any object you can think of to the screen in a pretty format. So instead of format.println, KR slash pretty dot print line and you get a nice json human readable output of all of those objects my only complaint is that if you've got a really big type it it uh, parses that whole thing and and goes all the way down so you might end up with hundreds of lines of output for one type but that's what you asked for because you're debugging so it's awesome and i use it pretty much all the time so that's one that one, that one will be mine. And then for Eric, I would like to thank <laughs> Richard Musiol, M-U-S-I-O-L, who's uh, Nelance on GitHub. He is working really hard right now on the WebAssembly compiler for Go. And I stumbled across his Go fork that has uh, WASM support last night and just sat in awe looking at how close it is to being done. I can't tell you how excited I am about WebAssembly support for Go. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, that I actually saw that in I think one of the Golang Weekly newsletters, and that was I meant to read that because I think all the WebAssembly stuff is just killer. All right, so I think that's it. We're like perfectly timed this week. Did we hit it right on the head? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, with that, um, I want to thank everybody for being on the show. A huge thank you to Damien for coming on. Um, all of us will keep an eye out on your perf book. And uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be cheering behind the scenes. And I'm sure plenty of people will be willing to uh, review it for you. Yeah, hurry up and finish it so I can steal all your content. <laughs> that, that'd be awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, borrow. Did I say steal? Uh, I, th- I think the license allows you to steal. Oh, perfect. Thank goodness. <laughs> CC by SA. At least that's what it is for the moment. <laughs> Damien wrote this. <laughs> uh, so thank you to all of our listeners. Um, you can find us at gotime.fm. We are at gotime.fm on Twitter. Um, if you have suggestions for guests or topics or you want to come on the show, um, you can file an issue on github.com slash gotimefm slash ping. And with that, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. All right, that's it for this episode of Go Time. Tune in live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community in Slack with us. In real time during the shows, head to changelog.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at gotimefm. 
Special thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. Also, Linode, we host everything we do on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. GoTime is edited by Jonathan Youngblood, and the theme music for GoTime is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.